Welcome to Be A Better Speaker with me, Graham David, expert speaker. And this podcast is for you if you want to be a better speaker, facilitator, presenter or trainer. It's full of practical tools, tips and techniques to help you be better. This podcast is sponsored by bluebeetle.co.uk and grahamdavid.co.uk. So in this episode, um, what I want to do, I've, I've got a, I've got a guest with me. I'm going to introduce my guest in just a moment, but but let me tell you a little bit about um, how I first met my guest. Uh, I think I'm going back about 10, 12 years now. Does that sound about right? It does. Yes. Yeah, about ten, twelve years. A mystery voice there, um, and uh, I, was, I was at one of his events uh, in Birmingham from from memory, and um, it, it was a two day session all about. Neuro Linguistic Programming (NLP), which, um, which of course uh, we'll, we'll touch on in just a moment, as as your specialism, and um, it was a really good two days, really action packed. But one of the things that really uh, caught my interest, I think, right from from very early on, was we were we were talking about, uh, or you were you were running a discussion on how it is that people gain attention and how people are compelled to listen to somebody at the front of the room. One of the things you said really stuck in my mind, and I've heard you refer to it a few times since, um, and that is that you're you're not somebody who on paper would make a good speaker. Now, I know you, uh, John, as somebody who's, who's spoken all over the world. You run a highly successful um, NLP and coaching and hypnotherapy practice. You've worked with some really senior, well-known people in the industry, um, Bandler and Grinder, of course, be uh, the two obvious names. You've um, worked with organisations, you work with individuals. It must be thousands of delegates now that you've, you've worked with. Um, you, you've got pretty much all the awards going. And um, that was a really strange thing for, for I, I, I felt at that time, for, for you to say. So um, just... <laughs> just Introduce yourself a little bit and tell me a little bit about who you are and, and what is you're doing, John Cassidy Rice. Thank you, Graham. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yes, um, so I've gone from the shyest person you'd ever meet, <laughs> low self-esteem, <laughs> learning issues. I'm dyslexic. Uh, okay. So there's a whole range of things going against me here. Um, <laughs> I, I was at, when I was younger, I had this situation where I was so shy that if anyone spoke to me, I'd blush red. Wow. So, and like you say, I now speak on the world platform and people often don't believe you because they're seeing the end result. Mm. And I've had to work really hard at overcoming those challenges in life. Uh, so, and I love what I do now, but it wasn't always that way. So, so the question has got to be asked. And John, I, I get asked this a lot. I, I run, a, as you know, a lot of train the trainer sessions. Yes. And um, and uh, executive communications and, and things around the idea of standing up and putting your message across better. And one of the challenges I, I nearly, I can guarantee, I almost get is it's all right for you, Graham, you're, and then they, they fill in whatever they think I am. So either I'm super confident or I'm doing really interesting content or um, my favourite one is this is just what you're like. This comes natural to you. As though somehow standing on a stage in front of 300 people with lights on you and being fully microphoned and you're the only one facing that direction is natural. (laughs) There's nothing natural about it at all. So I always come back to, I don't think that's necessarily important, but there's got to be some truth in that, right? Some people are just better at at public speaking. 
Well, I, I personally think it's a skill to be learned, which you were indicating to at that point there. So it comes back to a quote I heard about painting. So a lot of people say, oh, I draw like a five-year-old. And that's often because the last time you did any drawing, you were five. <laughs> and yet, if you want to be an artist, you want to get better at drawing, you practice the skill. So stand in front, like you say, when you stand out in front of any group of people and they look at you, there's so much going on. So there's a whole range of skills to learn. And one of those is to, to have a structure to your talk. Okay. So one of the things I often think is that how do you build trust with somebody? And the fastest way to build trust is to have structure so people realize what you're doing. So whether you're sp speaking at a wedding, whether you're speaking in front of hundreds of people or you're having to speak in front of your team members, mm -hmm. if you've got a structure and you know what you're going to say so you've rehearsed it, then you're more likely to be able to connect with people in the room. So okay. I, I'm with you. I think it's a skill set and there's multiple skills to learn, but it is very doable. Well, you're 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 arguing and you're you're the whole basis of the success of your business um, uh, about NLP is it's a, it's a study of excellence, isn't it? And yes, and taking what it is that other people do and finding I don't know if I can use the word shortcuts to, to understand and be able to take on what they might have spent years learning. So what you're saying, I think, is that even though you described yourself as somebody who blushed when somebody spoke to you, uh, you mentioned various other challenges and difficulties you have when it comes to um, being confident. Um, despite all of that, what you're saying is you've acquired a set of skills, tools, tips and techniques to allow you to speak confidently and convincingly in front of other people. Yes. So um, I, initially I was playing in bands. So you think I'd have confidence there. Yes. as well after um but when you can hide behind the guitar it's not you're kind of like there's a, a barrier between you and the audience but okay. as soon as you start speaking then the barrier has gone and it's just you and it's your own voice right so one of the things i often suggest to people um, who lack confidence is go and have some voice training so i'm not talking about singing lessons here yeah? voice training and your voice carries so much of your personality so much of your message that we think well i got a voice i use it every day but how do you do that to convey a message that has impact well great speakers yeah there's going to be some natural people that just do, do this naturally but great speakers have learned the craft and part of that craft is having voice work and learning how to project learning how to control your voice getting any kinks out of your voice so that when you say something, you have impact. Okay. Have you? And I know from your acting background, uh, Graham, that you put you. I think you would agree with that. Uh, no, absolutely. Um, the the reason um, this this is so interesting for me. Um, I've I've taken some of the questions that that I've fielded and dealt with over the years when I've been teaching other people how to do executive communications, as I say, as an example, and I've given the answers that I've, I've now pretty much come to be, um, I'm pretty much convinced they are, that's how it is. You know, they are written in stone somewhere, yeah. but it's, it's always fascinating, of course, to get somebody else's perspective. And uh, yeah, I completely agree with you, John. I think that's exactly, 
um, you know, to use your example, there are one or two people that might be, quote, natural at speaking publicly. At least I think we might agree they find it easier than somebody else. But for me, that example works several ways. So I am pretty terribly useless when it comes to using spreadsheets. That's partly because I'm not interested in using spreadsheets. But my argument's got to be if I have to use spreadsheets a lot, then there's no real point in me going, yeah, but I'm just not good at it. I have to actually acquire those skills. My argument's got to be, actually, it's the same. If you need to stand up and communicate to your team, there's no point saying, well, I'm just not very good at this. You need to learn some of those skills, which uh, which I think is where we're at with this, isn't it? Yes. And if we look at the um, two really well-known speakers, uh, Richard Branson, who is not a speaker but does a lot of speaking, mm-hmm. tends to be more on the side of being natural. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think he does some research and he, he prepares for the talk. And but he likes to answer questions. So he's best if you get to see Richard Branson, come prepared with some questions, because when you ask him questions, you get the best out of him. It comes to life. Yes. And then you've got Steve Jobs, who prepared for every five minutes of speaking, would prepare two to five hours of preparation going into that, what to say, how he was going to move. And he's deemed to be world, was a world-class speaker that captivated people's attention. Okay, that's, 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 that's a good, really strong couple of references. Thank you. So then if I'm, if I'm playing devil's advocate, um, and uh, clearly the longer you're on this planet, the, the more you, you start to realise that maybe <laughs> other people have different views and yeah. younger people might be looking at you thinking, really, what are you on about? And the, the challenge might be, why is speaking to people live so important? Because, you know, we have, we have technology now that means that you can chat to somebody on the other side of the world, you can see them, you can hear them, um, you can do this from your phone, for heaven's sake, to sat in a cafe. So, so why is it so important that we, we stand up in front of people and kind of the old, the old analogue way actually speak to them? Well, we see this, in, I think, in all areas of life. So let's take a step back from public speaking and see if we can get a build up to that idea. So if you, I know some companies now are banning emails and electronic communications for certain periods of the day because they, they find it's much more produ- productive. You connect with people if you go and speak to them in person. Yeah. So a friend of mine, Roy H. Williams, who lives out in Texas, he says, and he says this to all his staff, he says, if you have a problem with a customer, it doesn't matter if you have to get on a plane and fly out there and look them in the eye to solve it. You do that because that is, A, the cheapest, most efficient way of really connecting with somebody. That's an interesting idea, isn't it? Getting on the plane and flying to the side of the country is cheaper than. And, of course, your first view is, well, that's not cheap. But no. using the customer acrimoniously is not it's not a cheap option at all either, is it? Unless no. customer, it can be very expensive. Yes. I mean, the second best thing to that is video conference calls. It yes. still not, doesn't replace face-to-face. But then if we look at what's happened to the music industry, everything went digital, the bands all, oh, suddenly lost a lot of revenue because people have just been able to sort of take my music and listen to it. There's always been the case of that. But live music, going to see a band live, is more popular than it's ever been. And, and interestingly, since you mentioned revenue, of course, the price of tickets is uh, higher, perhaps, than it's ever been. So I, I remember I remember saying Tears for Fears in the early 1980s. Yeah. At the Birmingham Odeon. Cool. Uh, 
my, my I don't know if I can say cool, but I, I, well, you're the age; you can say what you want. Um, <laughs> my, t- my, my, my ticket cost me five pounds. Right, so to see what was at the time a, a very famous, well-known band. Now, what's interesting, of course, is that if you go back to then at five pounds, you bring it forward to the kind of ticket prices these days, and rather than even for smaller bands or for bands that used to be famous that are touring again, they tend now to have much smaller number of, of uh, venues, but far larger gigs. Yes. And of course there's a lot more value spent on the gig. And, you know, you're, you're going along with the two of you and it's the other side of the country. You might need a hotel. You're probably going to need a train ticket. All of a sudden you're into a couple of 300 pounds, um, which is, uh, a, a whole new proposition but it's yeah. because that live element is so important to us isn't it it is there, there is something that's magical about it, and we could probably go back and trace this back to when we were cave people mm. but when we're together there's an emotional connection there's an experience that you cannot gain in any other way i i i think that's right um okay good so let's um let's uh, let's move on to the next question and let's sort of um uh, let's mix it up a little bit how do you know when somebody in your audience is is not happy or is not enjoying what's going on and I, and I don't just mean they're obviously sat there huffing or puffing or, or whatever else that those are ones that many new speakers are a bit nervous about you know um, they're often a bit nervous about the guy that turns up and asks the awkward questions or the senior person that just sits there finding fault. And those ones are easy to identify. But but how do you know whether somebody is in your audience and you know, you're pitching them perhaps to try and to, to try and gain them to, to, to buy a course from you or to, to see your perspective? Uh, what are the clues that they might be giving out that, that maybe it's not going as well as you'd like? Right. So and then again, I think you identified a few things that are vitally important to keep in mind is that even if somebody thinks most people who are difficult don't think they are difficult. (laughs) (laughs) That's possibly the the, the morning's biggest piece of wisdom right there, I think. (laughs) I, I remember running a course and this guy was asking what seemed to the audience really awkward, challenging questions. Right. But on the other hand, he's engaging. Yeah, I've got his attention. Well, so, uh, uh, sorry, so, so to slightly crash your your story there, that reminds me of that very first event in Birmingham, and I discovered midway through day one that a few people thought I was there to be really awkward, and their yeah. justification for thinking that um, was that I sat on the front row. When, you know, everybody knows you don't sit on the front row. You always sit several rows back at least. <laughs> and um, I'd asked questions when you'd said, were there any questions? And uh, I'd volunteered to do things. And um, various people had considered and come to the conclusion that I was being awkward. But I, I, you know, I know for a fact I absolutely wasn't. I was, I was sitting at the front because I wanted to see and hear what was going on. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I actually learned that lesson. I'd have to learn it a few times, especially with public speaking, because <laughs> yes. it's so easy to take everything personally. Someone's sitting there with their arms folded. Yes. But I remember, remember this. Um, I was playing in a band. It was a small gig and lots of things had gone wrong. And we're standing backstage and these two huge guys walk over to us and they look menacing. And they had had sour faces, arms folded uh, uh, the whole evening. They walked over to us and we're like, okay, guys, we need to prepare ourselves here. <laughs> we thought we were going to be attacked. <laughs> and they came over and went, 
that was the best gig ever, lads. Here's a tenner, get yourself a drink. <laughs> and we were like, oh, okay. Oh, thank you, thank you. <laughs> it's, it's, it's interesting, isn't it, that, that um, you said that you have to re-educate yourself on a regular basis. Yes. Um, a friend of mine who's a, a motivational speaker and I, we, we have these sort of catch-ups every few months and he tells me some of his nightmare audience members and I sort of describe some of mine. But the interesting thing is, in the majority of cases, all of those people who sat there behaving in a certain way or saying slightly odd things have apparently been delighted with what's happened yes. and really enjoyed the speech or the session. So I think the, um, the, the big challenge is that it's not so much that you're going to have people switch off. It's just that you now have to be so good at what you do, at your craft of learning the skills, investing the time in educating yourself, because... Mm. When you're in a room, you're now competing where you didn't used to. You just used to have to compete with the air conditioning and the sounds <laughs> of the rooms around you. You're now competing against all the best movies, all the best books, all the best videos, everything you can think of. Because if somebody you're not engaging, somebody will just go to their telephone. Well, that's an old term, is it? That's their an, mobile that's phone. That's real. I think you're trying to say device there, John. Device, yes. <laughs> Electronic device. Yes. And can access all of that. So you yes. now have to put the work in to to hold people's attention. And there's certain things that will do that. Yes. So so often people who are wanting to learn to speak publicly yes. would identify or genuinely are shy and introvert. Now I I have heard some people hold that shy is not shy, it's just lazy. You know, up, up to the age <laughs> of seven or eight, it's fine. But beyond that, come on, get a grip, get on there and start talking to people. Now, I'm not, I'm not commenting on whether that's true or not. But, but people that are shy or introvert or genuinely find it toe-curlingly embarrassing um, but might still need to stand up and say a few words. So what can be done to help them? You've, you've mentioned a good format and a good structure for what they want yeah. to say. What else might they try? All right. So I think there's a couple of things just to say about shyness and introverted because they're different things. When somebody's shy, they're generally awkward in social situations. Now, introverts, and I'm off the chart introverted, and it's estimated that anywhere from sort of 60 to 70 percent of public speakers, musicians, actors are introverted. Okay. It just means that they would like to think things through and be prepared which is just not a thing. Thing. yeah no absolutely so so i think there's several things is one is to have structure and when we look at any audience and this is a little tip that if you've got to do a talk and you even if you've just been given 10 minutes to prepare structure will save you it really will so anywhere up to 38 percent of any group that you talk to is asking this one question is why are we talking about this? How is this relevant to me? <laughs> so you need to sell the idea. And I don't care if you're in a meeting and you're talking about the, the numbers. You need to put it. You don't have to do a big sell over the top and jump up and down. But what you do need to do is make it relevant. So the reason we're looking at these numbers is because what these numbers show us is what you want to know is this. And this is what that yes. proves. That's it. Yeah. yeah. And how often have you sat in a meeting where somebody's just been talking at you and you're thinking, well, what's the relevance of this? <laughs> yes, yeah. Well, there's, there's all the jokes, aren't there, about meetings for meetings' sake and uh, yes. 
it's nice to have a bit of time off work, go to a meeting instead. And that's the same when you're speaking in public. You know, people mm. want to know how does this apply to their lives? How is this relevant? So for somebody who is shy or introvert, having a bit of a structure, even if they've got 10 minutes, is a good way to perhaps give you a little bit of confidence of I know where I'm starting, where I'm stopping, and roughly what I'm doing in the middle. If part of that is telling people what's going to be in it for them, then I know that's going to tip almost four out of ten in the audience slightly more my favour because yes. they now know why they're listening to me. Yes, absolutely. And to practice out loud when you're you practice in your talk because I, I had situations where I was going to do a talk in my early days and it, was, it sounded absolutely fabulous in my own head but when <laughs> I actually come to say it it came out as <laughs> it's an interesting thing isn't it when you actually say the words you're planning to say yes you start to realize some of the phrases sound ridiculous you've overused a word like intent or, um, you know, uh, let's think outside the box, you're saying every 30 seconds. And, and the, the, these, these things don't appear to show up until you say them out loud. I think the other thing that seems to happen when you say it out loud, uh, and I have no neurological basis to say this, but I, I'm pretty sure this is what happens. When you say the words, the words go back into your head through your ears. Yes. And you're almost then picking up some new connections and some new ideas you didn't have when you just wrote the ideas down absolutely because when you you think and when you speak you're using different mechanisms in the brain mm. and, and when you're speaking you activate your physical you know the physical part of your body your diaphragm your voice your mouth that is then projected out of you you then hear what you're saying and you've now got this feedback loop okay and so the more you say something the more comfortable it feels so if I'm going to quote someone uh, or quote something like um, there's four ways to become wise. One is to live a long life, two to travel through many lands, th three is to read good books. That's the easiest. Four is to converse with good friends. That's the nicest. Now, to be able to sort of reel that off, I practice that I, yeah. when I'm driving along the street, I, I drive, drive in or if I'm walking along the street. Anywhere I can, I say it as often as I can. If I was waiting at a bus stop, I'd just turn to the person next to me and just say, you know there's four ways to become wise. And, and the interesting thing is, um, the, the challenge is often, I don't have time to rehearse, which I get, except there are plenty of times when you can rehearse. And you've just mentioned two examples, there are a couple of examples on the street, wait at the bus stop. Um, if you're driving along, you can certainly practice, you know, even if you just sat there muttering on the train, uh, which, of course, gives you the added benefit of probably guaranteeing a seat. Uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, I, and, and, I, and I say to people, you know, I, I, I rehearse bits of my introduction when I'm making toast in the morning or if I'm shaving or showering. Those are all times where actually you can be running through your lines, not just thinking them, but muttering them, whispering them, saying them out, saying them out loud. And yes. it, it really does help your confidence with understanding what you're saying and how the links happen, doesn't it? Yes. And if nothing else, by sharing these ideas, we don't think, you know, yourselves, the only one that's doing it and you're mad. <laughs> that's, that's a good way to say that. Well, look, just, just a, a couple more or a couple more questions, John. So um, often when I'm working with people, the the concern is put forward that um, it's kind of, they get to a point where they are, I really like these ideas. I love the idea of, for example, not using PowerPoint, right? A lot of people mm. use way too much PowerPoint. 
So my kind of opening gambit is, well, why don't you ditch the PowerPoint? And then my slightly more considered version is, well, if you need to use PowerPoint, that's fine, but maybe less PowerPoint or less detail. Um, you know, maybe stop wedging yourself into the corner of the room and talking to your slides. Why not actually try talking to the audience? Um, and, I, and I get to a point where people in the room are starting, hey, I, I quite like this. This all makes sense. But then there's always a, a, a what if. And the what if is nearly always about, well, when my when my boss or my manager or you know, the big the big leader comes into the room, everything kind of changes. So I'm interested. What, what do you reckon are the, the effects, the positive or negative effects of somebody senior sitting in on the presentation? Well, one of the things that we have to remember about people that are senior are that they are human beings. <laughs> and anything that engages a human being still works. So what then happens is your own, often your own preconception of what you think you should be saying to this person. Okay. Yep. So, um, so one of the, the greatest skills you can learn as in any communication, but it's paramount in public speaking would be storytelling. Okay. But the first thing people do when they think somebody senior is coming in, they go, Oh no, I can't tell a story. I need to give data. That's interesting. Yes. Then yet stories engage people. It engages the brain. There's, there's two ways we have something called mirror neurons and there's two ways to engage mirror neurons. Um, because the mirror neurons is about learning habits and ways of doing things in the world. So if you watch somebody, you watch children, watch their parents, they start to do what their parents do. So if you want to have your child read a lot, your child needs to see you reading a lot and then they'll do the same behavior. Okay. And, and this is why when that advert was on uh, about five, 10 years ago, uh, where parents were smoking and children were copying them, that's yes. exactly right. Cause that's mirror neurons. Yes. So mirror neurons are really powerful because they train the brain to behave in a certain way. The second way to activate mirror neurons is through storytelling. You create deep engagement because the brain rehearses what you're telling in the story. So if you want to engage somebody senior, I'm not saying an over the top Lord of the Rings trilogy story, <laughs> but something, a story that's relevant to the process. It could be about somebody on the team, some struggle that they have overcome. And so course, a, a simple analogy will work here, won't it? Yes. Yeah. And when I'm talking about storytelling, I'm, I'm going to lump metaphors, similes mm. all into one thing because they all work. So let me tell you how powerful it is because the brain also engages so much that it fills in information. So let me tell you three words and see what happens inside your own head because your head your head, your brain creates stories out of minimal bits of information. Okay. So three words. Yep. Rabbit. Car. <laughs> road. Oh dear. Oh, what just <laughs> happened? <laughs> yeah. And yet, that, that's not good. Go, <laughs> and here, here's how you can use that idea of changing people's stories of what they tell themselves. So you go, if I went, no, no, that didn't happen. Little bunny jumped up, put one paw up and blocked out what this light, jumped up, put the other paw, blocked out that light and ducked at the last minute thinking to itself, I hope this is not Robert Reliant. <laughs> and then bounced back and told all his bunny friends that he, he defeated the mechanical beast. As ludicrous as that story is, 
Yeah. Next time you hear those three words, both stories are run in your head. Rabbit now, flat money is the stronger story. Yes. Uh, but the more you hear the other one, the more your brain will refer to that, and it becomes your beliefs, the way you think about the, those words. Which is an interesting thing. I mean, moving moving on from just story there um, into that thing your brain does about filling in gaps. Yes. It's fascinating that a lot of presenters seem to want to spoon feed their audience every last final point. And we don't really need it. Um, no. uh, my, my, my view is, okay, if you're explaining something highly technical or it's a very specific uh, numbers-based presentation, then clearly precision is going to be very important. But for the vast majority of presenters and presentations, actually you can you can not leave out not not omit stuff but you can start to explain and just as your your rabbit story then people's brains are going to fill bits in and make connections themselves aren't they yeah i mean ernest hemingway said um barely say anything if that and he wrote <laughs> one of the shortest stories that has so much emotional impact that i've ever heard and it's a one-line story Okay. Do you want to hear it? But it is an I'm, emotional story. Well, you've given a big build-up now. Yeah, I've got to hear it. Yeah. All right. Oh, so this is so powerful, this story. People are calling in to hear this. <laughs> so. so, right. So here's the story. Yeah. Baby shoes for sale, never worn. Oh, man. Wow. Okay. Yeah, yep. it's it's an emotionally powerful story, and yet it's so short and says the bare minimum, while saying a huge amount at the same time. Yes, master wow. that craft of storytelling, and you're a world class communicator. Um, which is which is a a great point to start to wind this this conversation up. It's an interesting point, John. That that you know that baby shoes story in comparison to what we often see in conferences hello sorry we're running a bit late um i'm going to try not to be too boring i'll try and get us back on track which is how people often start with a bundle of apologies i'm a little bit nervous you'll have to bear with me let me introduce myself for those of you who don't know me and then the slide comes up with their name on and they then read their name to you and the the presentation starts in that horrible faltering ludicrously overpacked way doesn't it um it does yeah com compared to something a little bit more here are some key points you fill in the in the gaps like the the baby shoes yes well i'll i'll talk at large corporations and their conferences and i always start with a poem i won't even introduce myself say my name i'll start with a poem and then i'll say yes. thank you for having me so do something that's a little bit unexpected that captures people's attention. It's a, it's a great way of starting, starting with your, your story or your activity or your yeah. question um, or your, your poem, of course. Um, I guess your rabbit story is always going to be an absolute winner. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, well, John, look, I appreciate your your time um, in this, this interview. Thank you. So, it's been a pleasure. Um, if people want to know a little bit more about you and find out what you're doing at the moment, where's the best place to, to hunt you down? Well, I think uh, the, probably the best place will be to either go to my website, which is nlpcourses.com, 
That's mm-hmm. nlpcourses.com. Or again, John, email. Sorry, John, John, just say it a third time. Sorry, I missed it the first time. <laughs> nlpcourses.com. <laughs> yes. Um, or they can email me at John, that's J O H N, at nlpcourses.com. Brilliant stuff. All right, John. And, and what have you got coming up in the next uh, couple of months? All right, so we've got an NLP practitioner starting very soon. So if you're keen to take your communication skills to that next level and shift your life, that'll be the place to go. Brilliant stuff. Well, listen, John, always a pleasure. Uh, so thank you ever so much for your time. Um, appreciate that. John Casty rice Thank you. Thanks for listening to Be A Better Speaker. If you'd like to help me to keep making these podcasts for you, please consider subscribing right now. Leave a rating or leave a couple of words of encouragement. Be great to hear your reviews. My name's Graeme David, expert speaker, and this podcast is sponsored by bluebeetle.co.uk and grahamdavid.co.uk.